Welcome to the Indianola First Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Our prayer is that this message will inspire you, encourage you, and launch you into life-changing action. Hey, when I was growing, back, when I was growing up back in my elementary school years, um, we didn't have cable. Everybody should go, oh, oh, yeah. We didn't have video games, except for Pong, which kind of stunk iPads weren't a thing. We didn't have social media because we had, well, we we did have social media in a sense. We had a party line, and sometimes you could pick up the phone and listen to the neighbor's conversations. That was our social media. We didn't have internet or personal computers, didn't live in town, so playing or hanging out with friends usually meant getting along with your siblings. We didn't dare say we were bored because that usually meant being put to work. I remember only boring people are bored. I got something for you to do. So we filled our time with building forts, playing in the sandbox, making mud pies, did a lot of that. Throwing mud pies at my siblings. Hanging out in the old hayloft where we had a big gunny sack swing rigged up. Or riding our bikes up and down the driveway. That was when it was nice enough to be outside. On the rainy days and those two cold days in southwest Minnesota, which they have more cold days than we do here, those cold days, we would, we would usually resort to listening to vinyl records or playing board games. We spent a lot of time doing both of those, and man, did we play board games. Any gamers in here? You like the old school board games? And whether it was card games or board games like Clue, Monopoly, Trouble, Sorry, who likes Sorry? Yeah. Can I hear for Operation? Yeah. Jaws, that was a great game. You're like, what was that? It was like a plastic jaw, like shark, with a mouth open that was rigged up with rubber bands, and it had all this junk on his, on his lower jaw, and you had to hook him and take the junk off, and, and, and then all of, all of a sudden, when the weight was such that it couldn't hold the jaw down, it would just snap and everything would go flying. It was fun. And we, we played that so many times, we knew exactly the combinations that would keep it there, and so we started cheating, and that wasn't good. Jaws, checkers. I even learned how to play chess at a young age. My brother and I had a Star Wars board game that was pretty awesome. You didn't want to get into the uh, trash compactor on that game. Yahtzee and Scrabble and Candyland, we just really played all the games we could get our hands on. Boggle. We got any Boggle players in here? You're like, what is Boggle? Played a lot of games. But the games I found myself most enjoying or gravitating towards was, were those games that involved strategy. The luck games got boring real quick, but if they took some strategy, it was like a war of wits with my brother. And my sisters, having a strategy and winning was, was always about proving that I was superior to them and that I was older and smarter even though I didn't always win. And that always really was hard when your little sister beat you at a board game, especially a strategic one. I'm not as much into playing games these days as I was back then. Maybe it's just because I played too much of them. Or maybe it's because I got married to Alyssa, the queen of board games, and um, I get beat every single time we play every single game. So I just got tired of being beat. And, uh, you know, when you go to play a game and it's 99% chance that you're going to lose, it loses the fun right away, you know? So I just don't play. I guess that makes me a sore loser. Yep, someone said. 
I didn't get married to lose every time. Come on. But strategy is something that we not only use and and lean on in our game playing. Strategy is actually a God concept. It's a biblical idea. Strategy can be defined as having a plan of action designed to achieve a major goal. When mankind chose sin over disobedience to God, or I'm sorry, over obedience to God, our Heavenly Father devised a plan. He created a strategy. That plan or that strategy included sending his one and only son, Jesus, to live a perfect life and to die as a sacrifice for our sins, fully paying our sin debt so that we could have the hope of heaven as our eternal home. I'm thankful for that strategy this morning. God's goal was that we would have a way back to him. His strategy in achieving this goal was giving us Jesus. And of course, that's the ultimate strategy in Scripture. But we know that Paul had strategies as he planned his missionary journeys. We know that Joseph used careful strategy in directing his nation to store up during plentiful years so that they wouldn't starve during the ensuing years of famine. He was also very strategic in keeping his identity hidden from his brothers until he was sure that their hearts had changed towards him. Strategy is all over the Bible, church. The idea of having a plan of action designed to achieve a major goal. And when you start thinking about the different areas of your life that you've had success, you can almost always point to a strategy that helped you reach those goals, even if your strategy wasn't incredibly detailed. Like the old saying goes, those that fail to plan, plan to fail. And why I believe the Lord has got me talking about strategy this morning is that there is such an intentionality to it. We talk so much about being intentional in our actions around here. And that's the whole point. If we just go through life pinballing, I think that's a PB thing. I I, I think I made that up. That's mine pinballing through life. And what I mean there is just bouncing here, bouncing there, bouncing here, bouncing there. If we just go through life pinballing and kind of just ending up wherever happenstance takes you, we will not live the way we were intended to live. I want you to think about that. That's easy to say, but when you get that in your head and you let it sink down to your heart, you start to realize that maybe I'm not intentional like I should be with my life. Maybe there are things I'm doing where I'm just kind of pinballing. It's kind of like being drunk, it looks like, yeah. And not drunk in the spirit, by the way. God designed and created us for more than that. And honestly, we've all been guilty of it this at some point in our life or at different times, some areas of our life maybe. And it's so easy just to exist and let whatever happens happen. And there are so many in the world who do not have the hope that we have. And they just kind of resign to the situation they are dealing with at that time. Those out of their control circumstances. So many have adopted this attitude of, I can't do anything about it, so I'll just live with it. I don't know what you think, but I believe that Jesus 
on the inside of me negates my right to live that way. And this is hard. This is a hard thing to, to say because I know how much people suffer. I, I think about the Ukrainians. They have done really nothing, the innocent there, to get what they're getting right now. It's happening. So do they sit back and just wait for it to happen? No, we see them bearing up arms and fighting. But I tell you what, from the, from the ground, the church, the missionaries, there are prayer meetings happening like you can't believe. That sense of urgency to survive has, has sparked a prayer movement across that country. So they're not just letting it happen. They're doing something. But it's easy to fall into that. It's easy to fall into that when you think about, uh, or if you experience a, a natural disaster like we saw just, just to the west of us. That thing just missed us. And we know there's people who have died. There's people who were just in their home and boom, it happened. There's nothing they could do about it. And that could be any one of us possibly, but here's the deal. I'm not gonna sit back and, and just wait for the next bad thing to happen to me. I've actually heard people say, because of the COVID thing that we've just kind of come through, they've said, you know what, it's just like you're sitting around waiting for the next person to die. I refuse. I refuse to live that way. That is not the way God intended for us to live. And I'm saying that with all the conviction that I can. Jesus on the inside of me negates my right to live that way. I feel like I've been bought with a price, the blood of Jesus. And I know my life is his, so I will not just pinball. I will intentionally and strategically make plans to achieve and obtain the dreams that God has placed in me, no matter what is happening around me. And I think that's the attitude that I'm trying to get to this morning and trying to encourage you to, to take on and not just take it, not just put up with it. Well, you can't do anything about the circumstances, so just got to live with them. I'm just not there. Psalm 37.4 says this in the Amplified Version of the Bible. It says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires and petitions of your heart. You know, I don't care what happens in this crazy world, and it's crazy, and it's getting crazier, and as Jesus come, gets closer to coming back, it's going to get a whole lot more crazier. And the last thing that needs to happen is the church needs to sit back and go, oh, my circumstances. This could be our finest hour. This could be the chance to win people to Jesus like never before. The desires of your heart and that scripture, those are the dreams that are in you. Those dreams that sit way down in the depths of your heart. And if you are delighting yourself in the Lord, then, then you don't have to worry about your dreams being worldly or fleshly. I'm not talking about those worldly dreams. Delighting yourself in the Lord means you love him, you're living for him, you're serving him, you have relationship with him, you're praying every day, you're worshiping, you're taking advantage of every minute of every, and every opportunity that you can to just commune with him and have fellowship with him. You're in a real relationship with him. You're delighting in him. That's delight, and if you're doing that, you don't have to worry about those, fle those dreams in your heart being fleshly or worldly, because you're gonna have God dreams. The dreams that God placed in you when he created you, those are gonna come to the surface. It's kind of like back when I was a kid, 
And we would get that fresh from the cow milk. Anybody remember that? If you let it sit overnight, all the cream would make its way to the top, right? And it was awesome. It was the best part to cook with or use as cream in your coffee or, or even make ice cream with. It was awesome stuff. It would be like four or five inches on the top of the milk, just that solid cream. Delighting yourself in the Lord brings those cream of the crop desires, God desires of your heart to the surface. And they're right there. Proverbs 16.3 says, commit your works to the Lord, submit and trust them to him, and your plans will succeed if you respond to his will and guidance. Commit your works to the Lord, and your plans will succeed. I like what Proverbs 16.9 says, a a man's mind plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps and establishes them. These verses encourage us to make our plans, to create strategies, to have all those plans of action. Uh, just We should be designing them to achieve our goals, but they are also warn us to make sure that those plans are of the Lord, which that's why we gotta delight ourselves. So what's your strategy? That's a pretty open-ended question, so let me be more specific. What's your strategy for building his kingdom. I hope you're a kingdom builder. That's what we're called to be as born-again believers in Christ. We talk about strategies for our, our businesses to grow, and we talk about strategies to win at different sports we play. We complain about our kids as coaches' strategies sometimes, right? Some of us men had to strategize the way we were going to get that gal to say yes to marrying us. Some of the gals probably had to do the same thing. We strategize on how to get out of debt or how we're going to save money. Some of you have such amazing strategic ability that you create a strategy for grocery shopping. You make your list coincide with the aisles and location of the products you need to get. What's my point? Strategy is something we kind of naturally do all the time. We're always strategizing about all sorts of things. Things that don't even matter in light of eternity. And yet, if I was to go around this room and ask each one of you, what's your personal kingdom builder strategy? What is your plan for building the kingdom of God here on earth? Your personal plan for building the kingdom of God here on earth. Probably many would admit they don't really have one. There are some that probably do, but many haven't even thought about it before. I'm going to do something really gross. I'm going to blow my nose. Who's got a Kleenex? I'm sorry. You go right from singing to preaching. You want to mute me so they don't have to hear that? It's a two Kleenex blow. You go right from singing to preaching, and we're sitting there weeping as you sing those songs, and how do you, and you get all stuffed up, and yeah. Strategy is something that we all naturally do, but many haven't ever thought about it in reference to building his kingdom. We just watched a video about scrapping for the kingdom. That's a strategy. As a church, we have a vision statement. To rescue, develop, and 
the ploy. It's strategic in that we endeavor to rescue those that are lost or struggling, help them develop their faith to a place of perpetual growth, and then encourage and equip them to strategize and do the same in whatever way that God leads them. We even have core values, areas that we have identified as church leadership that the Lord seems to use over and over again to help us achieve our goals to rescue, develop, deploy. That's the strategy for our church. But what's your personal kingdom builder strategy? Do you have one? Have you thought about it? Have you gave it any kind of time in your head at all? Yesterday, we had four boys go over to Dennis's and strip wires so they can get full copper scrap price for it. All that money will go to speed the light. That's a little bit of a strategy. Temporary one, a one-time thing, but it works. The Fireside Bistro this off, is gonna offer this week a special, it's a Ukrainian skillet. What a great idea. Which is a breakfast hash type dish that's common breakfast over there. Um, and for everyone that served, $5 of that's gonna go to Convoy of Hope to help with the refugee issues that they're, the massive, massive refugee crisis they're having over there. That's a strategy. Pastor Donnie has been training to run a marathon. I think he's nuts. <laughs> but it's a strategy. He's going to raise money for Speed the Light. It's a strategy. We had kids this last summer, kids in our church who raised thousands of dollars for Kingdom Builders by putting up lemonade stands all over Indianola on, on, a, on a certain Saturday. That's a strategy. What's yours? We had Alyssa Wheeler walk on her hands. She's a sixth grader. She walked on her hands and got pledges for how far she could walk. She got family and friends to sponsor her, so much per feet. I don't know how far she walked. How, how far was it? Was it over 100 feet or something? 123, 123 feet. She made over $3,000 for missions. A sixth grader did that. You know how many adults don't give $3,000 a year to missions? A sixth grader did it. That's a strategy. What's yours? And I've given you a lot of examples of raising money for missions, which is always great, but it doesn't have to be just about raising funds. There's so many other things you can do. The guys who worked here yesterday tearing out a wall, it's the first step in expanding and creating our new nursery because we need one. I think a couple weeks ago, there was over 20 babies in the nursery, and we counted eight of them. There was eight babies in here. How does the, I mean, what are we going to do? We need a new nursery now. Having a functional, attractive facility helps us facilitate the ministries that God wants us to facilitate. That's kingdom builder strategy. Yeah, I can give a couple hours to tear out a block wall. It's kind of fun anyway. The sky is the limit to what your kingdom building strategy might be. It might be here and here and here and here, or it might be an overall thing. We have people in this church who do foster care so that they can be there for children who need them. I think that's wonderful kingdom builder strategy. Maybe your strategy is figuring out ways to amp up prayer in the church. Maybe your kingdom building strategy does something to help married couples have stronger marriages because that's what God's put in your heart. Or maybe you as a couple have gone through something really horrific and now you can start helping because you've gotten through it. You're on the other side of it so you can offer help. 
Maybe it's develop a helps ministry for when natural disasters happen. A couple of years ago, I met with Chad Workman. He was the guy who was over in Winterset this morning helping. If you want to help him today, please call him by right after church. They're needing 25 to 50 people by 1 o'clock or something like that to help. And if you guys can throw in, some of you can throw in, great. But I was talking to Chad a couple of years ago, and he was like, I mean, he organized convoys in Iraq, when he was in the military. He did things like that. He went in and helped this kind of stuff. And so now that he's here, he wants to do something here. And so there was this dream in his heart, and he started talking to me, and I was like, whoa, this is awesome. What if the church had a trailer fully stocked with chainsaws, generators, things you need to drive into a place, kind of like a convoy of hope does, but do it on a local level, drive in and help wherever we're needed? What if we had a few men who love that kind of ministry, because we have a few of those, and they were just on call when it happened. And when, it, when, when something goes down in the near area in our state, we just hook up that trailer and we go. That's a kingdom builder strategy. Maybe you work in the healthcare industry and you... You want to find a way to get people the care they need without having to deal with insurance companies and governmental red tape and help them do it because affordable, maybe even free. How's that? And God puts it in your heart to open a free clinic. Oh, 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 wait a minute. We did that. Michelle and Amira. That's a kingdom builder strategy. How is that not being the hands and feet of Jesus? I, I, that, that, to our community, that's amazing. I, I don't know what God dream you have on the inside of you. I don't know what dream he has taken and put way deep down inside of you. But I do know this. We as Christians, we don't strategize and we don't dream about building his kingdom near enough. We think about a lot of other things but strategizing so we can be ready, so we can be doing. If we pinball through life or wait for all the planets to align, everything will work out, right? We just gotta wait for, wait for it all to be perfect situation. I'm not even, I, that's not a good idea because how many know that, that time's never gonna come? If we pinball through life, those dreams aren't going to come to fruition. If we are intentional in our strategies, the sky's the limit. Strategy, a plan of action designed to achieve a major goal. What's your plan of action? What's your strategy? So let me give you some clear direction when it comes to developing a kingdom builder strategy. One, pray. And this is so important. And it doesn't make sense to just step out in faith without having a direction. It's through prayer that you obtain a direction. You gotta pray first. Well, I don't like praying. Well, then just sit there and let things happen to you and let things just go on and never have a strategy to do something for the kingdom of God. Because you ain't gonna do it without prayer. And if you try, you're just gonna do it in your self-effort. It's gonna take 10 times as long, it's gonna be 10 times as hard, and you probably aren't gonna get anywhere anyway. Pray, pray, pray. Everybody say pray. pray. That's number one, you gotta pray. What does that prayer look like? It looks like this. God, show me what you want me to do. I trust you to give me ideas. I know that you've given me specific gifts and talents, but God, no matter how big or how small, please just give me direction in what you want me to do. And prayer is not just about asking, church. It's about listening, too. 
It's also about watching, looking for where God is already working and, and, and what he is already doing and then joining it. And as you pray, you will begin to get direction, a dream, a vision for what you are supposed to do. It may include what you're already doing. Oftentimes it does. It might include what your gifts are, what your talents are, what you do for work. It might include that. It may be connecting to the business you own or it might be connected to it. It, might, it may be connected with the job you have or the skills that you possess. Again, the sky's the limit. Let God tell you what that is. What if the only thing you had was a beautiful smile? Turn to your neighbor and say, that's you. <laughs> you didn't tell your wife that. I saw that. You did? Oh. I saw you tell Kenny, but you didn't tell What if the only thing you had was a beautiful smile? That's all you have, nothing else, which is obviously pretty unlikely that that's all you have. But just for discussion's sake, let's say that's all you have, nothing else. What could you do for the kingdom? How could you build his kingdom with just a smile? This may sound far-fetched, but I assure you it's not. What if you just decided to be intentional with that smile so many hours per week? Let's say you decided to go into different public places, maybe Walmart, maybe Hy-Vee, just any public place you could find, and make eye contact with people and smiling at them. Not in a weird way, like... <laughs> Don't take, put words in my mouth. Don't be a creep. Just smiling at them, make eye contact where the opportunity presents. You know what I'm talking about. Use some common sense, right? And you smile at them. You just smile. Praying before you go, praying while you're there that God will put you in front of the right people that need a smile. And I'm not, again, I'm not talking about running around and being weird with it. Just looking for people to come in contact with and smiling at them. I guarantee you that you will not just be smiling at people for very long. You will get asked about why you're smiling, and, and, and you'll say, smiling's my favorite. No, don't say that. <laughs> you'll get asked, why are you so happy? Well, that's, you have a nice smile. Thank you for smiling at me. Something will come up, and you'll be able to start a conversation, and you'll be able to give them a reason for the hope that was within you. You will probably, if you keep doing it, will, will lead people to Christ if you keep working that smile. And, and understand, I'm saying being intentional about it. Not just saying, well, when I'm in the grocery store, I think I'll smile. Now, that's a good idea. Do it. But what if you went to the store just to do that? It's different, isn't it? What are you doing? Honey, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go to Walmart, and I'm going to smile at people. You can change a life by smiling at somebody. You can change somebody's life. It can open the door to conversation. And this is just a really, really simple thing. And what, what, what's my point? Everybody who can hear my voice right now can do something. And if you can't smile, then, you know, find Jesus. He'll help you smile. So when you pray, don't let anything be off the table. Let God speak to you about what he wants to do through you. Let him give you direction. Let him give you the strategy. I love what 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says. It says, never stop praying. We pray, we pray, we pray. Before our strategy, as we're putting it together and as we're implementing it, even afterwards, we're praying for the results. Prayer, you never stop praying. That's how you get a strategy. And as God begins to give you what he, 
he wants you to do, it's time to take the next step. Prepare. We prayed, now we gotta prepare. This is a step that often stops people cold in their tracks. This is the part that is usually a lot of work. It's preparing yourself to be ready. It can involve learning or developing a new skill, a new life skill. It may involve some kind of financial investment. It could involve changing certain life choices in order to position yourself to help others. I mean, if someone came to me and they were, you know, they were, they were just completely um, subject to alcohol. Let's say they just had an alcohol problem and they, 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 were, they weren't delivered yet and they were working on being delivered. You don't take that person and put them in charge of those that need to be delivered. You understand what I'm saying? Does that make sense? I wouldn't have somebody teach the financial peace class who has 30 credit cards maxed out. You're judgmental, Pastor Barry. Am I? That's just good biz, right? That's just good business. Why, why would you do that? It doesn't mean that that person's not, not, not valuable. It doesn't mean that they can't do something. But, but do the right thing, right? Sometimes you have to change some things. Maybe that's in their heart. I want to help people with their debt because I know how bad it stinks. Prepare. Get out of debt so you have a place to speak. You have something to say. You've worked it. You've proven it to be true. Some people don't like that, but that's, I'm sorry. That's the way it is. That is truth. Preparing can be really hard. It can be humbling. It can be laborious. But preparation has to be done if we're going to be as effective as we can be. Sometimes, and, and I'm going to pick on Pentecostals here a little bit, we get lazy in our prep because we hide behind this, well, I'll be led of the Spirit anyway. So I don't have to prepare nothing. I mean, Peter never prepared his message when he came out of the upper room and spoke bringing 3,000 people to Jesus, right? What do I need to prepare a message for? What do I need to prepare for? And yeah, that's true about Peter. But how many days did he spend praying in the upper room just prior to that? That was prep. He was getting full. And then he was baptized in the Spirit. Awesome. They prayed for days before that happened. Days without even leaving the room. How many of you have prayed for days, days, and never left the room? Jesus prepared for his ministry while in the desert. 40 days and 40 nights. He fasted. He didn't eat for 40 days. He prepared himself. If he had to prepare himself, I, I assure you we do. The apostle Paul was in the desert for three years preparing for his ministry. It takes time to prepare. It takes effort to prepare. It takes work. It might take classes. But we gotta prepare. We pray, God begins to give us direction, and then we begin to prepare for that. Some preparation, like, I want to start this ministry thing. It's going to be so awesome. And, and, and this, happened, this happened quite often uh, with me. People tell me, that, this is what I want to do. I think it's going to be great. And I just ask, what about insurance? What happens if you get hurt doing that or somebody on your team gets hurt? Who gets sued? So we got to talk about those things. That takes prep. That takes prep. Sometimes you have to ask a lawyer. That's prep. Let God give you direction, and then as you're preparing, don't let those hurdles get in your way, because if God gave you that, if he birthed that in you in prayer, you can accomplish it, you just have to prepare. 
And yeah, there's, there's times you don't take no for an answer. You go around it, you find a way around it, you find the loophole, you do what you have to do to make sure that everything's, all your bases are covered. I get that. That's all part of preparing, though. You know what God put in my heart 15 years ago? About 15, almost 15 years ago, that we would have a restaurant in the church. It took 14 years. 14 years of prepping, adding little things as we went. Prepping, prepping, prepping. And we're still not done. We got more to do in there. You might have to read a book or two. That's hard for some people. I don't want to read. I don't like to read. Well, then don't accomplish the dream that God's put in your heart. Live with that. If God tells you to read a book, read a book. I mean, we know we got to read the book, right? Preparing could take years or days. It, it depends on what God is, is doing or asking you to do and do through you. But be willing to do whatever it takes because more than likely someone's eternity depends on it. If the result of doing what we don't want to do is that it builds his kingdom, why wouldn't we do it? If someone will come to Christ, it, are we willing to do something we don't want to do if, that's, if we know that that's going to be the result? I don't want to do that. They can find Jesus some other way. They're predestined anyway, so what, what do I have to do with it? There's people who think that way, church. I ain't one of them. Let me ask you this. How many divine appointments do you think God is going to give a believer who isn't actively and continually preparing themselves? How many more will he give divine appointments to someone who's prepared? It's a great thought. 1 Peter 3.15 says this, Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Just a verse to, to, that speaks of preparation. Whatever that looks like for you, to prepare yourself for what God is calling you to do. You know what the church is? The church should be the equipping agent. Pastor Jared and Donnie and Amelia and the staff, we, we all talk about this from time to time, how we are supposed to equip the saints to help them accomplish what God has put inside them. I think that's what the church is for. I don't think the church is supposed to be doing it for them so they can check off the box and say we're doing something. So we pray, we prepare. Let me say this one more thing about preparation. You might have to write out your testimony and learn it and memorize it. You might have to memorize some scripture. Oh, I'm not a good memorizer. Do it anyway. Do it anyway. So you're ready in and out of season. When it comes to developing your kingdom builder strategy, you pray to get direction, then you prepare to become effective, and then number three, final point, you produce. I understand that we are to leave the results of our kingdom building efforts up to the Holy Spirit. If we have prayed and we have prepared, then what is produced comes from the working of the Holy Spirit in another individual's life. We can't save anyone, only God can do that. I get that, but here's the deal. If you're continually praying and continually preparing and you step out in faith when God says to step out in faith, there will be fruit produced at some point. You will produce something. 
That will happen. God will produce something through you. Let me put it that way. Every farmer knows that you can't perpetually plant seeds and never get any or never see any kind of harvest. Don't tell me that you're praying and preparing and never seeing any fruit. I just don't buy it. It may take some time. It may not be tons. There might not be tons of fruit, but you will have a harvest. And what do I mean by fruit or a harvest? It's the results. It's the success of your strategy. It's the plan of action that God and you designed to achieve the major goal of building his kingdom. It's that plan working. When I was in college, I became very involved with Campus Crusade for Christ. We wanted to build his kingdom and win students to Jesus. So we implemented a strategy. We prayed, we prepared, and we set up tables in the student union where we had those that walked by fill out survey cards. And they had a number of questions on them, like on a scale from one to 10, how interested you are in spiritual things, what's your name, what's your phone number, things like that. And then the last question was always this, how many M&Ms are in this huge jar that we have filled with M&Ms? Because if you, if you guess it, or you're the closest one to guessing it, you win it. Everybody like, everybody's like, I like M&Ms, I, I'm, I'm gonna fill out that card. So that's the reason they stopped. We would then take these cards and give away the M&Ms to the one who guessed the closest, of course, and the card uh, had, their, had their information on it, and we would look at those and we would strategically decide who was interested in spiritual things based off the questions on the card. And then we would cold call them off their phone number. Hey, just wanted to call. I'm sorry you didn't win the M&Ms. Bummer. But you did mark on your card that you were you know, interested in spiritual things. I wondered if you want to have coffee and just sit down and talk about that. And oftentimes they would say yes. I want you to understand something. I didn't go to Bible school, but that's where I learned how to share my faith. To Muslims, to Jehovah Witnesses, to, I mean, every kind of person imaginable, it seemed like, I would find, I would be calling and sitting down with them and sharing my faith. Tremendous training ground for me. And it was part of our strategy. And we saw people come to Christ. Not everybody did. Some got mad at me. But we saw people come to Jesus because we set up a jar of M&Ms. Are you kidding me? How easy is that? It was a strategy. But we worked it. We prayed, we prepared, and we worked it. And there was some fruit produced. God calls us to make disciples, guys. Not converts, disciples, true followers of Christ. And I knew not all, all those students would give their hearts to Christ, but some did, and that was worth the effort. Matthew 28, 19 says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Producers of disciples, that's what Jesus commanded us to be. Kingdom builders in every sense of the way. It didn't say that there was a specific way of doing this. Just that we, we need to take what we've been given and then do it. Notice that producing wasn't really optional for believer in that verse. It's not optional for believers. Jesus didn't say, if you feel like, feel like it, produce disciples. He didn't say, if you are in full-time ministry, produce disciples. He, was, he didn't say, if you go to church every Sunday or you know, 50% of the time, you're off the hook for producing disciples. He was speaking to believers there and everywhere, to Christ followers then and now. Produce disciples. Pray, prepare, and Produce. That's what he was saying. Produce, make disciples. And this morning in closing, I, I just want to challenge you to stop pinballing. 
I want to say that I understand we've come through a lot in the last two years. We've lost loved ones. Many have gone through financial struggles. Many have had the situations and circumstances that we find ourselves in bring a discouragement, maybe even a depression when we see all that's going around. What happened yesterday afternoon did not help, obviously. We see what's going on in the Ukraine. That's troubling, obviously, in our spirits. I think Devin said there was a, a just a week of heaviness because we felt it. We feel that all the time. I think that's increased. But guess what, church? The Word of God talks about wars and rumors of wars. In the end, it also talks about natural disasters happening and increasing. We're seeing that happen in our world, and it's just a sign that Jesus is getting ready to blow or to come back after that trumpet is blown. It's gonna happen. And my thing is, I'm not gonna sit around and wallow in all the bad stuff. And it's tough and it's hard, and I get that. That's why we need the church. That's why we need each other to encourage one another, to love on one another, to give each other a hug, to to to, to be the fire under each other's rear ends. Amen? some of us need some fire under there. So we'll do something for them. But I'm not going to sit back and do nothing. I think we ought to be praying, preparing, and producing. I think that's who the Father will say, well done, that good and faithful servant. Not those who said, well, you know, you talk to, a, talk to the guy, you know, have you, ever, have you ever heard anybody say this? How are you doing, man? They're saying, okay, under the circumstances. I'm like, what the heck are you doing under those? Right? Right? We have a strategy coming up. And I I don't want to take a lot of time. I know we're just right at about 1130. We have a strategy coming up in the Good Friday experience. We've been praying. Two years ago, this was something that was on my heart. Then we had COVID and all this stuff, and I talked to Pastor Jared about it, and he's like, that sounds awesome, and then he started blowing it, and then he talked to Sandy, and that started blowing up with her, and, and, I, and I'm out of it now. I just, I just plopped an idea and went like this. <laughs> and now it's kind of like taking off, but I want you to know this is outreach. This is to win people to Jesus. This is kingdom building at its best, and it's a church, our church, being strategic in doing it. What is, what is the Good Friday experience? Well, they're going to walk in. The church is going to look very different. They're going to walk in, and I, I, I kind of see to my mind's eye a little like an amusement park, not with rides, but you know how you stand there and you have to go through the line and you go to different rooms and they blah, blah, blah. There'll be groups of 25 that go through at once because we won't be able to do any more than 25 at a time. That limits how many people are going to be able to come to this, by the way. They'll go through and they'll, they'll enter a room and it'll be the upper room and we'll have a, they'll experience a Seder meal. All the explanations and all that. Then they'll go from there and they'll walk into an area that looks like, that looks like the Garden of Eden. Or I'm sorry, the Garden of Gethsemane. And as they go into the Garden of Gethsemane, they'll see Jesus praying. They'll see the disciples sleeping, Probably. And they'll watch it. It'll be a combination of drama and a combination of narration and a combination of all that. Then they'll come and they'll, they'll walk down a road that'll be kind of built in here and it'll be like the Via Della Rosa kind of thing. It, they'll, they'll walk down and they'll, they'll, they'll get to witness Jesus being pushed down the street, beaten, bloody, and hung on a cross right before their eyes. 
And we're going to do that to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then from there, we're going to move them right over into this room where there's going to be a presentation of the gospel. And they're going to have a guide with them. And it's going to be uh, one of those things where they'll be able to, to get a clear gospel presentation. They'll be able to feel it emotionally. They'll be able to see it and understand it. And then we'll be able to lead them. Is everybody who comes going to come to Christ? I don't know. Maybe. But what if one does? What if it changes one person's life? How much money are we willing to spend on one soul? It's going to be a ticketed event because you can only have 25 go through at a time. What does that mean? Well, when the church does something like that and my tithes pay for it, I should get to enjoy it. But every person that comes in here and enjoys it is another person who can't come and have an opportunity to receive Christ. So how do you weigh that? You understand what I'm saying? So the strategy is this. If you have someone right now that you've been working on, that you've been already praying for, and you think they would come to that, and you think that that would be a, a really perfect thing to make this happen, to bring them to that point of decision, then you need to buy a ticket for yourself, and you need to buy a ticket for them. Why do we do tickets? Because if you don't sell tickets, uh, then people just don't make reservations. They don't do that kind of thing. Tickets put value on it, right? And we want the people that say they're coming to actually show up. Because if they don't show up, then that leaves an empty seat where there could be somebody. And as they come through, and you might bring that person. I, I, I will say this. We're going to do a dress rehearsal on Wednesday, and that'll be the time for everybody to see it, that wants to see it, that can see it from the church. But then there's going to be those others. Not just open to anybody in the community like that. I want our people to go with them. People, do you all have somebody you're working on? No? You just pinballing? You don't have a strategy? If you don't, that's, I, I get that. Life's busy. But change. Start praying for somebody right now. Who would that be? Who would that be? In fact, bow your heads right now. Lord, if there's somebody that we're supposed to bring, if there's somebody that we can strategically begin to pray for, God, put that person in our heart right now, in our mind. We know the devil is awesome at organizing his evil, his cohorts. He's strategizing about, about how he can trip the saints up. But Lord, today we decide that we're going to strategize at how to build your kingdom. Put that person in our heart. Put that person in our mind. Bring us to a point where we start praying for them, God. Even now, a month before we do this thing. Has he given you a name? Has he dropped a face in your heart? Because that's the person you ought to start praying for and thinking about bringing. That's being strategic. This is the plan we have for, for the Good Friday experience. Just another example of, of something the church can do. And again, it's not just about what we do. It's, it's about what all of you do individually. A strategic plan to be a kingdom builder. Maybe it's raising money. Maybe it's finding a way to go overseas. Maybe it's something, I don't know. Maybe it's smiling at Walmart. I don't know. 
But if you are willing to pray, prepare, you're going to produce. It will happen. That's just the law of the way God set it up. God, be with us as we go from here. Fill us with your presence. Put people on our hearts. God, if there's something we're supposed to do, just make that so crystal clear for us. And God, we just give you all the glory for what you're going to do through this church. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being a part of the Indianola First podcast. Join us next week to stay updated on our latest messages.